All right. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This Sunday, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Um, last Sunday, we only looked at verse 42. And so this Sunday, we're going to be looking at the rest of um, chapter 2. As always, we love to um, honor God's word. And one of the ways we like to do that is by standing for the reading of it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through to 47 reads, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you again for this Sunday. Um, thank you for allowing us to gather um, in person. Um, God, I pray for the many churches out there that, um, for reasons outside of their control, they weren't able to gather in person. I pray that however they decide to gather, whether it's through um, Zoom or live stream, um, I pray that they would trust and believe um, that their gathering is it's not limited by how it happens, Lord, but, God, that you are with them um, and that you are there to move powerfully. Um, God, as we look at Acts and as we um, conclude um, this um, series of looking at what what the nature and the purpose of the church, God, I just pray um, that you would continue to shape us and mold us um, into the church that you've called us to be in this city for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. This month, as most of you know, we've been diving deep into what church really means. Um, We figured it'll be beneficial for us to do a series on the church since we just entered into a new season as a church through merging um, and relocating to this building. Since um, two churches have become one church and began life in this building, it's important for us to explore Um, what the church is and what the church is not. In the first week, we looked at what it means to be a church family. And if you remember, we discovered that a church family is a people saved by Jesus who now relate to God as father and to each other as brothers and sisters. Um, We also, um, last week, um, we traveled Um, back in time to look at the early church. And we looked at how they were devoted. That means they were super committed to scripture, prayer, fellowship, and of course, Jesus. This week, what I want us to do is look at how everything we've covered so far shapes the way we relate to each other as we're getting used to our new family dynamics. And our passage for this morning helps us with that. It's a snapshot of how 
the first Christian church, which was founded in Jerusalem, lived. And so the question is, as a church family, since we value scripture, since we value prayer and fellowship in Jesus, how then shall we live? What should we be committed to? First, we need to be committed to experiencing all. Experiencing all. Look at verse 42 again. It says, And they, that is the early church, this is about 3,000 of them, okay? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. As the early church devoted themselves to these things, look at what happened. Look at what? Look at the results of these gatherings in verse 43. It reads, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. As they sought to know God and worship God, this is what happened. A deep sense of awe came upon over them all, and the apostles performed many miracle, miraculous signs and wonders. Now, uh, I know there's a lot of talk, okay, and different opinions about signs and wonders. I know there are. I've been to seminary, and I've been doing pastoral ministry for a while now, not too long, but there's a lot of opinions, okay? Uh, opinions like, why aren't we seeing as many um, signs and wonders compared to what we read in the book of Acts? And should we even expect the same kind of miracles today? Um, I know many of you have got a ton of questions, and I wished we could dive into the topic of miracles today, but I'm sorry to disappoint you. We can't, and we will not. <laughs> we have talked about it in the past, um, and if you want to kind of listen to that sermon, go on our website. It's all there, um, but we will definitely circle back and talk about signs and wonders at one time. However, I think the point of verse 43 is this, is to reveal to us how God worked so powerfully among the early church, it left them in awe of who he is. Like, God hasn't stopped working. He is still very much at work in our church and in our day and age. And so let me ask you a question. Have you come to this place before? A place of awe before an all-knowing, all-wise God. When you are exposed to the things of God, are you led to your knees in worship? Do the truths about God leave you in awe of him, or do they have little effect on you to the point where you yawn in the face of glory? If it's been a while since the knowledge of who God is and what he's done left you in awe of him, um, what's the issue? Why does exposure to the things of God have little effect on you? Why are you more moved by created things rather than the creator himself? Ever notice how? A tasty and delicious meal can feel more fulfilling than the bread of life himself. 
Why are you more stunned by the statistics of an athlete than the attributes of God? How come a live concert feels more engaging than worship? Ever thought about why a TV series feels more gripping than the stories of the Bible? And isn't it interesting how you seem to hustle more for money than for spiritual growth? Why are you so obsessed with your own desires, plans, schedules, and accomplishments than you have little um, time for meditative reflection on the awesome glory of God? Good morning. We have every reason to be stunned by God's glory. We have every reason to live in life-shaping awe of him. But if we're honest, a lot of the time we're just not. We just come to church and we just leave and it's church as usual. Yeah, I sung a few songs. I read this passage. Now I prayed and we just leave. Not really impacted in the way we should. In a way, we are blind to God's glory when an exposure, when we are exposed to him and we just leave without being in awe. Paul Tripp calls this the worst kind of blindness. He's an author and um, counselor in a Christian world, and he has this to say about this kind of blindness. He says, it's the physical ability to see without the spiritual ability to really see what you've seen. It's the capacity um, to look at wonders, things specifically designed to move you and produce in you breathless amazement and not be moved by them anymore. It's the sad state of yawning in the face of glory. Many of you have lost your awe and either don't know you have, and if you know you have, you don't know how to get it back. When was the last time you were stunned by God? And if it's been a while, what are some of the ways you can turn your knowledge of God into more opportunities for worship? Paul Tripp helps us again. Listen to what he says. He says, Perhaps we don't need to institute another reformation program for ourselves or give ourselves to a new set of commitments that are more about penance than repentance. Perhaps what we need to do is fall down on our knees before the great physician in humility, brokenness, and grief and confess that all amnesia that eats away at our hearts like a spiritual cancer. And so today, my friends... Let's plead with God for the ability to truly see in a heart that doesn't forget. Today, let's 
pray and recognize how quickly we can lose sight of God. Let's admit when our spirits feel starved and then cry out for a heart that is renewed. Let's cry out to God. Let's make a commitment this week to pray and pursue God in a way that leads, leaves us stunned and amazed by who he is and what he's done. Let's not remain satisfied with church as usual or our weekly bland Bible readings and prayer times. Let's plead with God so that he would leave us stunned and amazed and in awe of who he is every time we come in contact with him. And so that's what we want to be committed to, experiencing awe. The second thing we want to be committed to as a church family on mission with Jesus is radical generosity. Radical generosity. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. The early church had all things in common. This means they lived with a mindset that said, what is mine is yours. And because of this mindset, because of this way of thinking, verse 45 says this, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In other words, the basic needs of members of that local church were met by the radical generosity of other members of the church. They were radically generous towards one another, and so... The question we have to now explore is how can this idea of radical generosity play out in our day and age? How can we as a church family in the 21st century be as generous as they were? Here are some examples. First, we should be radically generous with our finances. I know. Here we go. We're talking about money. Whenever we talk about money in the context of church, it gets awfully uncomfortable. And that makes sense because um, there's been a lot of abuse and there's been a lot of confusion um, about giving and money when it comes to church. However, um, despite the negativity surrounding money and the church, we need to address it. And this is because generosity, especially with our money, is a basic fruit of the Christian life and should be the standard we live by. Um, Jamie Dunlop says this. Statistics show that while charitable giving is as popular as ever in America, giving to the church has dropped significantly in the past several decades. The Bible, however, stresses the importance of Christian giving, specifically for the benefit of the local church. I've heard it said 
that no one can ever write a check big enough to impress God. And so just think about it. No matter how big your tithe is, God's not up in heaven going, oh my goodness, wow. Look at you. No one can ever write a check big enough to impress God. It's true. God doesn't need our money yet. He graciously invites us to invest in what he's doing in our city and around the world. Simply put, we give through the local church to invest in the kingdom of God. And so as a church family, our passion is to see life changed locally. You heard some of, you know, our local endeavors and what we're doing locally. And we want to see people um, changed around the world. And as you financially, um, in, you know, invest in God's activity through King's Cross, you're investing in something that will have an eternal impact. When you give financially, you don't give to the church, you give through the church for God's work and his advance of the gospel. Jamie Dunlop again says this, give to your church and see your heart loosen its hold on the cheap treasures of this world. Give to your church and look forward to the reward that awaits you. Give to your church and find the joy that comes from using even your money to show off the glory and wonder of Jesus. Give cheerfully, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you trust that what God has for you is far better than anything your money could buy. And so, my friends... What cheap treasures of this world might be holding your heart back from giving more freely to your local church? As you review your budget, where can you adjust so that you can be more generous? Reflect on a time. Write down this. Write this down. This week, reflect on a time when you felt immense joy from giving. How can you replicate that joy by contributing to your church? And what might a generosity-focused budget look like for you this year? Giving financially is not the only way you can be radically generous. You can also express this kind of generosity um, when you use your time and your talent to serve others in our church family. And I've seen this played out in incredible ways in our church where um, we are given a ton of our time. As most of you know, we just kind of moved into this building and I've just been amazed by how so many of us have just given our weekends and weekday nights to come into this building and just clear it out or clean or whatever. I don't even know. So much has been done and I've been incredibly impressed by how we have used our time as a church also think about this like I think we've been doing a good job but I don't think we should now get comfortable and go yeah we've done some cleaning days I think God is calling us to be radically generous not just generous 
but generous in a way that goes beyond what we're obligated to do. Our church has grown and is growing. There is a need for us to, um, our kids' <laughs> ministry has exploded. Just kids everywhere now. It's amazing that we got these amazing facilities so that we can have spaces for the kids, and it's fantastic. And so the question is, like, there are, there are needs. There are needs for serving. Actually, yesterday, um, you know, no, there are needs for serving. And so the question is, uh, how can you serve? How can you give more of your time? I've been so impressed by how we've responded to needs. Yesterday, I got a text from a young guy from our church. Not going to mention any names. And he was like, Obed, just thinking about serving. How can I serve at my local church? And I was like, I love that young lad. So may you respond in the same way. May you inquire as to how you can serve your local church. Author Tony Payne defines radical generosity in this way, kindly giving someone more than you're obligated or expected to give. And this quote captures the essence of radical generosity so well, and I think it does. Um, And let me explain. Um, For example, okay, I think when we think about giving, some of us can have preferences on how and where we give. For example, um, some of you think giving financially is all that is expected of you. You say to yourself, as long as I give financially, I don't need to be generous with my time. Others of you think as long as you're generous with your time, You don't need to give financially. You say to yourself, as long as I give my time, I don't need to give in any other way. In other words, as long as I give my time, I don't need to give my tithe. If you look carefully at Scripture, you'll see that Christians are not called to pick and choose how they're to be generous. Scripture doesn't ask us to pick our preferred way of being generous, but God calls all Christians to be generous with everything they have. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so my challenge to you is don't limit your generosity to one area. Be willing to meet a need with whatever resources you have. Give financially to your local church, but also be radically generous with your time as well. Don't put boundaries on your generosity. Be radically generous with all that God has given you. Radical generosity encompasses every area of your life. And so we've seen that as a church family, we're supposed to be committed to experiencing the awe of God 
was committed to radical generosity. Third, as a church family, we're committed to active involvement. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I just love that, man. Members of the early church actively involved. They gathered together. They went to the temple for scripture readings and prayers together. They also met together in their homes um, to enjoy good food and each other's company. Note that it says that they were involved in these gatherings with glad and generous hearts. It doesn't say they were involved in with like, Annoying and frustrated hearts. <laughs> Glad and generous hearts. And I get, look, when we look at the early church, we can, we can kind of view them as this perfect church. And so when it says glad and generous hearts, we can start to think that, oh, they never got frustrated or annoyed or irritated. No, no, it wasn't. But I think this is what identi- this is how they were identified. Most of the time, they gathered with glad and generous hearts. This means it wasn't a duty for them to be together, but it was a delight. They didn't meet together to check off legalistic guidelines. It wasn't something they had to do, but it was something they wanted to do. At King's Cross Church, many opportunities, as you know, to fellowship with other believers, our Sunday gatherings, are you going to make our Sunday gatherings a, a priority this fall? This fall? Are you going to do that? Are you going to make our community groups, our community groups are starting soon? Are you going to make it a priority not just to sign up for a community group, but consistently participate in the life of a community group? Many opportunities. And the opportunities you have to gather with other believers comes with many benefits. It benefits you. Here are just some benefits of regularly gathering with other believers. You establish, establish strong relationships. That's how you build strong and trusting relationships when you prioritize gathering with other believers. I sometimes hear people tell me, oh, but I cannot connect with the, the, with the, with the church. I, I can't make no connections. And I ask them, how are you involved? And their response is always like, no one's reached out to me. And I say to them, I get that you're waiting for someone to reach out to you, but you also have to make an effort. And that's what we're being called to. Don't just sit around. What do you want? People to like call you and beg you to come hang out? Make an effort to connect and to commune with God's people. Other benefit of gathering regularly with God's people is you grow spiritually with other Christians 
Ed Stetzer, who's a bit of a scientist in the church world, says this, a person actively involved in a group of spiritual community is 2.5 times more likely to read the Bible versus someone who isn't, and more than four times more likely to study scripture than someone who is not in a group. And it's not just reading and studying the Bible. Our research also shows that those in groups pray, give, serve, and fellowship more than people who are not. That's research. Don't believe me? That's research. We've had a lot of married couples. We just announced, um, what was it called? Weekend to Remember, it's called. And as a church, we are passionate about investing in marriages and strengthening marriages. And one of the ways we say marriages can be strengthened is that they're part of a community, regular community. Um, Brad Hambrick, who's a counselor out in North Carolina, says this, a gospel-centered marriage protects itself by being meaningfully involved in community. He goes on to talk about how after many years of counseling, he's never had a couple say to him, Brad, our marriage is a shambles. And when we have been meaningfully involved in Christian community, the entire time with both of us being transparent and honest with Christian friends that we trust. He said he's never heard a marriage say that, a couple say that. That their marriage is a shambles as a result of being part of a community of Christians. And the last benefit of regularly being involved in church community is that it gives you an opportunity to care for others. Leaders in this church are not the only ones responsible for caring for members of our church family. The truth is, the work of ministry is not only for leaders of the church, but for every member of our church family. Listen to me. As long as you are saved... You have God's spirit. And as a result, you are called and given everything you need to care for others. Edward Welsh says this, The Lord is pleased to use ordinary people. If you have trusted in Jesus rather than yourself, and you feel weak and unqualified, then you are qualified. Then you are called. King's Cross Church. Some of our church members are going through tough times. As a church, we are convinced that the merger with Solway was what God wanted. We're convinced of that. But let's be real. 
even though it's clearly God at work, changes like this aren't easy. Some of our members have found it tough to transition and they are feeling the weight of leaving behind the original church community. Saying goodbye to your church community or any other community is tough and it's been tough for them and they're mourning lost connections and friendships. For them, this new beginning is a mix uh, of like, uh, it's bittersweet in so many ways. Others in our congregation are facing personal challenges like navigating significant marital problems, feeling high anxiety about the future and what's ahead, grappling with habitual sins. Some of our members are juggling financial hardships and uncertainties. Some of our members are dealing with health, health issues or the sickness of a loved one, coping with the loss of a job or struggling to find unemployment or struggling to find employment. Some of our members are battling feelings of isolation or loneliness. King's Cross Church, there are people that are part of our community and believe it or not, that are very lonely some of our members are managing the stress of caregiving for aging parents or special needs children. And guess what? God has equipped you to come alongside them to encourage them and help them endure their struggles. Your presence in the community matters. It matters to you and it matters to others. Sam Albury, who's a Brit and now a pastor um, in America, he says this, whether you're the preacher or a child, whether you've been a Christian for four weeks or four decades, whether you're the most successful business person or the longest term unemployed, you need everyone else as much as they need you. God has chosen to include and use you. You can make a real, lasting, eternally significant difference by being part of your church. Your church is, a vital, is vital to you, and you are vital to your church. And so how about it, King's Cross? How about we commit to being a church family that is actively involved, that is actually involved in our local church. Let's not just talk about it, let's do it. And I can't think of a season that is more important than now to actually, for us to be a church family. So we've seen these four things, experiencing God, radical generosity, active involvement. We want to be committed to them. Lastly, we want to be committed to missional engagement. Look at verses 46 to 47, missional engagement. It says, and day by day, attending a temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
saved this crazy as the early church pursued God in prayer and his word, as the early church spent time together and loved each other and were in awe. Look, listen to what happened. Like, like it says it's crazy. They received their food with gladness and they were praising God, right? And I love the last part. It says, and they were having favor with all people. And as a result of all of that, the Lord added to the number day by day those who are being saved. I love the term, they had favor with all people. Do you know what that means? They were liked by everyone, even those who weren't believers. This tells us something important. When we genuinely care about our community, it resonates with people whether they share our faith or not. Our dedication to God's mission can often earn us respect and trust from those around us. And some of you have experienced that. In your work, wherever God has put you, you just have people love and trust you. And they're like, he's awesome or she's awesome. And you're like, oh, it's Jesus. Let's remember people liking us isn't the ultimate goal. It's a bridge, a way to introduce them to Christ. If they trust us, they're more likely to hear what we have to say. The early Christians, okay, listen to this, guys. They did enjoy the favor, the favor of the people outside the church, right? But one theologian reminds us that this will not always be the case. He says, unfortunately, such favor does not always last for long. For those who admire the life of Christians soon come to realize the implications of their message. They realize they're being challenged to make a decision about adopting Christianity and rejecting their own cherished religion. Thus, admiration is replaced by fear and opposition. Listen to me, guys. Look, you're not always going to be liked. We're not always going to be liked. This favor the early Christians experienced soon turned to hostility from people outside the faith. If you read a few chapters later, in Acts chapter 8, it says, There arose a persecution against the church, and they were all scattered throughout the regions. Our active commitment to the mission of God will involve both favor as well as hostility from those outside the church. But if we persevere and continue to trust God, he will add many more to his kingdom through our church. As a Christian, as someone who has made a commitment to King's Cross Church, are you often in awe of God? Are you generous in a radical way? Are you involved, actively involved in this church? And are you intentionally 
on mission with Jesus in this city. As we looked at the early church, what was apparent is that they were unified in these commitments. No member of the church seemed to be inactive. They were all together. And for some of you this morning, this level of commitment makes you uncomfortable. Because of this, as we hold up this model of what we're supposed to be committed to, the kind of commitment expected, you realize that you're far from it. If this is the ideal, if this is what's expected, then you have failed miserably. And so, as we've been looking at all of these commitments, you've been sitting there going, my goodness, I have failed. I have not been in awe of God as much as I should. I've not been as generous in a radical way with my money and time. I've not been as involved in the church as I should, and uh, my commitment to mission hasn't been active, but it's been passive. I've been fearful to share the gospel. And you're just sitting there, just feeling like you're a failure. And so if you are discouraged by this level of commitment and what you're being called to, what will inspire you? What will revive your commitment for God, his people, and the mission? This is it. You ready? Reflect and meditate on God's commitment to you displayed in the gospel. And the heart of the gospel, at the heart of the gospel, is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the most powerful fuel for your commitment because he spearheaded the most powerful display of commitment the world has ever witnessed. Think about it. Jesus, the son of God, became human, just like you and I. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father, but it was also the reason he died on the cross. And on his way to the cross, before he tasted death, he experienced unthinkable shame and suffering. He was forced to carry a wooden cross and this would be the same cross he would die on. But on the third day, he rose again. And before um, he ascended to heaven, he commanded his disciples to go out into all the world and be his witnesses. And so, why did Jesus endure such shame and suffering? Because he was committed to his father's mission. And the mission of God the Father has always been and will always be to offer salvation, the forgiveness of sin, eternal life to those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, where are you at with that? Where are you at with Jesus? 
right now, today, you have an opportunity to enter into an actual relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And I hope you say yes to Christ for sure. So as a church family, may we be constantly filled with awe. May we exercise generosity without limits. May we engage actively in fellowship. And may we reach out to the world with Jesus' transformative love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've gathered here this morning, we've been inspired and humbled by the early believers in Acts. Lord, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, may we too be a community rooted deeply in these things. God of all provision, as the early church sold their provisions and distributed to those in need, may we as King's Cross Church, may our church also embody radical generosity. Grow in our hearts, Lord, a desire to give selflessly, reflecting your boundless love and grace. Lord, we yearn, we so want for the unity and dedication the early believers demonstrated. We want to meet together. We want to break bread and we want to praise you. God, kindle in us that same passion for active involvement in your church family. Help us to endure All that comes against us, empower us for your missional engagement. As we journey together, God, let the essence of Acts 2, the whole of Scripture, be the blueprint for our church. May we be constantly filled with awe. May we exercise generosity without limits, engage actively in fellowship, and reach out to the world with your love. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.